0: Genesis chapter 3 this morning, we'll continue our series through Genesis and we'll begin by reading verses 1 through 8, Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says beginning in verse 1, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made and he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. The eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. When they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden." In our two weeks in this chapter so far, we've considered primarily the first four verses here. We have seen the subtlety of Satan. He's cunning. He's crafty. He's a deceiver. When he first shows up here on the pages of Scripture, he's deviously twisting God's Word. At the end of verse 1, he took a positive command of God's permission and he made it seem like it was a negative command. In Eve's response, we saw how she added to the Word of God, which was probably added to first by Adam, since God gave this command to Adam before Eve was ever created. But either way, God's Word was manipulated. Not only by addition, but also by omission. And then also by subtraction. She's or substitution. She substituted God's word. In the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die, is what God said. Eve said, lest ye die. Two totally different things. It wasn't peradventure we die, or maybe we'll die. God said, thou shalt surely die substituting God's Word. One little word may seem innocent enough, but it can change the entire meaning. Amen. In fact, the Apostle Paul made a big deal about one letter in Galatians 3. Check it out. Then in verse 4, we saw how Satan just flat out lied. Ye shall not surely die. Remember Jesus said of Satan in John 8, 44, that he abode not in in the truth from the beginning. There is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. This is how Satan still works today in an attempt to cast doubt upon the veracity of God's Word. He manipulates the Word of God through additions, omissions, and substitutions. But what did God say? Deuteronomy 4.2 says, Ye shall not add unto the Word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Add thou not unto His words, lest He reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. God takes the purity of His word very serious. He doesn't want us tampering with it. There's a reason we've stayed with this King James Bible, which is now over 400 years old. But that's another series entirely. And isn't it interesting how the Bible begins, well chapter 3 here, but in the beginning of God's Word we see immediately as Satan shows up on the scene that the Word of God is being tampered with and it's being manipulated. And then just before the Word of God ends in Revelation, we read this in chapter 22 verses 18 and 19. and from the things which are written in this book. It's almost as if God is telegraphing to us, telling us that, listen, adding and subtracting to My Word is what got you in this mess to begin with. And as He closes it out, God's saying, just stop messing with My Word. Let it say what it says. You don't have to add to it. You don't have to take away from it. You don't have to substitute. His Word is pure. Paul said, let God be true but every man a liar. With that, let's continue today. Let's focus on verses 4 and 5. The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Satan continues his conversation with Eve by telling her an outright lie. Ye shall not surely die. And let's remember that Satan didn't start with this overt lie in verse 4. But he began in verse 1 by covertly bringing doubt, bringing a question upon the Word of God when he said, Yea, hath God said? You see, there is a progression in Satan's strategy against you. He doesn't start with an openly powerful lie to begin with but he starts with a slight deviation from the truth. We understand a lie is a lie. But just bear with me as I put it this way. Once you allow a smaller lie into your mind and allow it to take root, you are now vulnerable to believe an even bigger lie. The pathway to an openly sinful life is paved with gradual compromise. We entertain thoughts first. And as we do, a pattern begins to develop in our mind long before we've ever acted. Someone said private thoughts eventually will lead to public actions. What began with, yea, hath God said, led to, ye shall not surely die. It began with entertaining the doubt in the mind. And once that was allowed to take root, Satan progressed to this outright lie in verse 4. By Satan lying about the truthfulness of God's Word, we can see how Satan hates the Word of God. Satan was the original textual critic. Textual criticism is man sitting in judgment of God's Word Instead of God's Word judging man. You may hear it called higher criticism as well. And it's a method that Satan is still using today to deceive many. It does nothing but cast doubt upon the Word of God. Textual critics say things like, there's no way Daniel chapter 11 and 12 could have been written by Daniel in his day because it is too accurate. It must have been written after the fact by somebody with a pen name Of Daniel. I could do an entire series on the examples of textual criticism which is casting doubt upon the Word of God. Yea, hath God said? There are supposed Bible teachers, but just consider how they attack the creation account that we covered over in chapter one. And they are attacking major doctrines. I'm talking about the virgin birth. I'm talking about the deity of Christ coming under examination and question because of higher criticism. If you want to know what happened to Christianity on a large scale in Europe, then look no further than textual criticism. It employs this strategy, Yea, hath God said to ye shall not surely die. Churches exploded in Europe after the dark ages. But in the 1700s, textual criticism revived and this tactic of Satan nearly destroyed Christianity throughout Europe. Go to Europe today and you'll find these massive Christian buildings and architectural uh, buildings. And they used to have thousands of people come and meet there every Sunday. And now they're virtually empty every Sunday. In fact, a lot of these places, the tourism that comes to see the place where Charles Spurgeon may be preached is more people coming in than the membership that's there now. What happened? Textual criticism. By the 1800s, textual criticism reached the United States and it spread like wildfire. And in its aftermath, it left behind many false religions which are wrongly categorized under Christianity. Christianity. Religions such as the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the Seventh-day Adventists, and Christian science all come to mind that began in the 1800s. By the early 1900s, textual criticism in America nearly caused the same destruction that it did in Europe. And it certainly destroyed the mainline denominations that once stood for something in this country. But God... But God, in His mercy, He raised up a movement called fundamentalism. In between 1910 and 1920, there was a push back against this tide of textual criticism and liberalism which had infiltrated churches all over. God was using men like R.A. Torrey, who was one of the editors of a 12-volume set called The Fundamentals. They fought against higher criticism. They broke away from the denominational compromise, and it led to independent church movement, of which this church is still a part of, as an independent Baptist church., say, why are you independent? Because we don't want to be caught up in that denominational nonsense. I don't need a parent church telling me what curriculum to use. I'll get fired up right there, so let's focus. They were the original fighting fundamentalist. Yep. Now that term's been corrupted today, and I don't even like to identify with it now, because now it's just a bunch of cantankerous people that, you know, you got to look this way. Yeah. Yeah. Chill, dude, okay? We're all in the same fight. Yeah. Now, anyway, it once meant something good. Now, we're still heading in a wrong, wrong direction today, but had that movement not taken place, then Christianity within America would have already ended up like what has happened over in Europe today. Now, I give you that short history to say it all started way back here in Genesis chapter 3. Yea, hath God said, He shall not surely die. By the way, if you want to know where the school system in America began, it began because of this passage. Satan's strategy is found here in 1647. Massachusetts passed the Old Deluder Satan Act. And in part it reads this, In being one chief project, chief project, it being one chief project of that old deluder Satan, to keep men from the knowledge of the Scriptures as in former times, and that learning may not be buried in the graves of our forefathers in church and commonwealth, the Lord assisting our endeavors, it is therefore ordered by this court and authorities thereof, that every township in this jurisdiction, after the Lord hath increased them to the number of fifty householders, shall then forthwith appoint one within their town to teach all such children as shall resort to him to write and read. And it is further ordered that where any town shall increase to the number of one hundred families or householders, they shall set up a grammar school, the masters thereof being able to instruct youth." These who came, they, they referred to the former times. What were the former times? It was the Dark Ages. It was when Scriptures were literally chained to the pulpits of the Catholic Church and all over Europe, and you weren't even allowed to own Scriptures if you wanted to. They actually prohibited their congregations from owning a copy of the Bible in any translation. You can find it in, the, in, in their documents. This is a proven fact. And if you were found to be in possession with a Bible, you had eight days to turn it into your local bishop so that he could burn it. If you happened to get away with having a Bible, you were probably illiterate and couldn't read. You couldn't study it. They wanted to keep people in the dark. Only the priest could read the Bible. Therefore, only the priest could tell you what the Bible says and as a result they knew how to manipulate the people because once a people no longer have the scriptures to be understood they can easily be misled very fast that's how we get cults that's how we get false doctrines so many false doctrines that are out there today would be obliterated if people just read their Bible like it doesn't even take study it's like oh Christ is God Well, there goes the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Read the Word of God. So they got away with inventing the doctrine of purgatory. And if you gave enough money to the Catholic Church, then you could buy someone out of a place that never existed. That's quite a scam. No one could question a blatant false teaching without a personal copy of the Word of God. They were called the Dark Ages for a reason. They lied and they manipulated the masses who had no ability to see through the deception because they didn't have a Bible. So the priests were the only ones interpreting to the people. And with that set up, you can make the Bible say what you want. Of course, the Reformation took place. God used the Reformation to give us the Bible in English. Made it available to all who could purchase one. And for those who may not know, I have to say these things, but the Baptists did not come out of the Reformation. That's right. Amen. Amen. The Baptists were never part of the Catholic Church. We are not Protestants. We were never within it to protest from within. That's right. Amen. Baptists have existed all the way back to the first century. Yeah. Say, so how do you know that? Because there's a guy that comes to mind called John the Baptist. Yeah. Yes. I never saw John the Methodist or John the... I'm not being ugly, I'm just saying that's the Bible. Now, some of those descendants of the Reformation, they came to America, and they were determined never to go back to these dark ages ever again. They understood that it was one chief project of that old deluder Satan to keep men from the knowledge of the Scriptures as in former times. So they established schools. They knew people needed to be literate because without being able to read and study the Word of God, a people who could easily be manipulated once again and brought back under bondage to believe the lies of Satan. They understood back then that in Christ we're all priests. Revelation 1.6. Therefore, some Catholic priest isn't the only one who can read and study the Bible, but it's a right of all of God's children to be able to have the Word of God. Of course, the public school today has become completely corrupted. And while students are learning how to read and write, the Bible is no longer being taught as it once was. There's a lot of interesting stats that correlate with the time that the Supreme Court kicked God out of the public schools. All kinds of things went wrong in this country as a result of that. But I'm glad to be able to tell you that our academy still exists for the purpose of not just teaching our children how to read and write, but we're trying to teach them how to walk with God. Amen. To make wise decisions. High GPAs are good, but godly children learning the Bible is far better. Listen, if you want to send your child to our academy, but you don't feel like you can afford it, you come and talk to me. Amen. Early America understood this passage in our text very well. They were not ignorant of Satan's devices. They knew the devil desires to snatch the seed of the Word of God out of the listener, the hearer, that he seeks to blind minds. He sends false ministers teaching a false gospel, and he sows unbelievers among believers. Satan doesn't like it when people go to hear the Word of God being taught. Why is it you get along just fine with your family on Friday and Saturday, but on Sunday, all of a sudden, you begin to fuss and fight? That old deluder Satan. He doesn't want you to hear the Word of God. All of a sudden, you're arguing about something stupid. And I'm going to win. So we just drive separate to church. Never had an argument on the way to church since we've been doing that. We can laugh because we know it's true. (laughs) He wants to keep you from hearing the preaching of God's Word. What better way to get you to come here hot about something and you're not even really with the service? Why is it you can sit through a two-hour movie with unbroken concentration, but when it comes to sitting through a 40-minute sermon, I mean, does he have a lightsaber or something? I mean... If I was waving one around preaching, everybody would be like, wow. You got the one that makes the noise? Yeah. God so loved the world. Why does that happen? It's because Satan hates the Bible. He wants you distracted during the preaching. All right. Let's move on to verse 5. We'll see more of Satan's strategy unfold here. It says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Let's take note here of how Satan surrounds his blatant lie with truth. When Satan twists the word of God, he usually mixes in enough truth to make it palatable. Most rat poisons are over 99% non-lethal. Less than 1% lethal, but that's all it takes to kill. Satan tempts with a mix of truth and falsehood, but a half-truth is still a full lie. Amen. It only takes a little bit of a lie to fully deceive and kill. We see here that Satan states, For God doth know. He sure does. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows all. He goes on to tell Eve, Even the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open." That was also true. The Bible says in the beginning of verse 7, "...and the eyes of them both were opened." The devil says, "...and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil." This was also true. In verse 22, God said, "...behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil." Now, obviously, they did not literally become like God in the sense that they were all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. That's not how they became like God. But in the context, they became like God. They knew good and evil. Now, if I did my math correctly, and that's a dangerous statement, if you take what's been said here in verses 4 and 5 by Satan, there are 32 words. Only five are a lie. In other words, the devil's temptation was 85% truthful and only 15% of a lie. There's enough truth in his lie to make it palatable. Also take note of how the devil is trying to sell this temptation. Though it is essentially a truthful statement, the devil's trying to make it seem like somehow God would be fearful if man came to this knowledge. God knows and he's worried. Oh no. God is never fearful of his creation. I mean, he's the creator, duh. The devil is also insinuating that God isn't good to his children. That God... Is the one who's holding back from us from living in greater blessings. In essence, the devil is saying, God wants the market on being God, so he isn't being forthright with you. He's holding something beneficial back from you. He's so crafty in how he misrepresents God. He's not only the accuser of the brethren before God, but he accuses God before the brethren. Even with this much truth wrapped around a lie, he's able to use the truth to misrepresent God. It's all in his presentation. 2 Corinthians eleven four says, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Now what is the temptation here? We'll bring this home. What is the temptation? The temptation is to live a life apart from God by becoming your own God. You see, you don't really need God to have knowledge. You don't really need God to be like God. You can be a God by yourself. Satan's tactics haven't changed. There's nothing new under the sun. He is still offering people to become his gods. And why wouldn't Satan try this? Because It is what He used to deceive Himself. In Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14, For thou hast said in thine heart, speaking of Lucifer, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And He ended it with this, I will be like the Most High. Ye shall be as God's. Satan deceived himself by wanting to be like the Most High. So he uses the same tactic on Eve. And he's still using that line to deceive people today. Isn't it interesting how several religions teach you that you can become a god? The New Age movement is you being God. Mormonism teaches you can become a god. In Hinduism, they greet one another by saying namaste. I bow to you which means I'm bowing to the divinity that's in you the god that's it's all about being a god and if you think about it even the prosperity gospel movement at its core is all about being little gods by teaching a, that a christian is entitled by divine right to live a life of prosperity It's been rightly said God made man in His image and likeness and ever since mankind has been trying to make God into their image and likeness. Satan offers knowledge and wisdom without submission to God. But the Bible is clear that knowledge and wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Satan is offering light and illumination without God. And he wants as many as he can to believe they can live a life independent from God. So what does Satan hit us with? You don't have to live in submission. You can be a God. Satan fell because he didn't want to exist in submission to the Most High. And you'll fall too if you pursue that same path as Lucifer did. Eve, aren't you tired of this command not to eat from this tree? Did you know you could free yourself from that subjection? You could free yourself from that higher power that's over you. You can become your own God. All you have to do is stop submitting yourself to God. Someone told me a few months back, I just can't get on board with all that submission talk. And I knew immediately Satan had been at work in the mind and the heart of that individual. People love the idea of living a life without submission. And it is this pursuit of a life without submission, us desiring to be our own gods, the God of self. It it is this pursuit in life which is destroying the world. That is causing the problems in the world. Come on, preacher, aren't you making a little too much of this submission talk? Well, tell me that after I read this. James 4, 7 and 8. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and He will draw near to you. You see, at the heart of this temptation... From Satan to Eve, it's all a matter of submission. All she had to do was submit herself to God. But she didn't. So guess what part of her curse is going to be after the fall? You can see it here in verse 16. Unto the woman He said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over you. You didn't want to submit to me? You're going to submit. God wants us to learn to live in submission to Him. He gives us parents. Yep, those parents. God has given you those parents in your life Hopefully, they're teaching you submission. Why is this important? Because the day is coming when your child is going to be confronted with a choice to submit to God or become their own God. Some parents teach their children, maybe unintentionally, but they teach them nonetheless by their own actions. That it's okay if if, if you're the most important thing in your life. God gives us other authorities in our life and He says, I want you to submit to authority. We are told to submit to our spiritual leaders, our earthly leaders, and we are even told that the younger are to submit to the elders. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, Yea, and all of you be subject one to another. And be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. But our old nature says, I don't want to submit. I don't want to do what you say. I want to be the God of my life. People end up making a mess of their lives because nobody's going to tell me what to do. It's manifested all kinds of ways. It's not always so blunt as somebody destroying their life by open rebellion. But people stunt their spiritual growths. Their spiritual growth. They put themselves first. Listen, they, they put themselves first. They lay out of church. I know it's about to get real in here. I just don't want to go today. Why not? Well, I've had a I've had a rough week. I'm just tired. I I I I. I don't want to go to ladies' meeting. I don't want to go to men's prayer. You want to be the God of your life. That's the problem. People don't want to submit. They want to be first place in their life. People find loopholes. I used to do this all the time in the military. I know exactly what I'm talking about. I could count on one hand the amount of commander's calls I went to in about the last 10 years. Something always came up. I'm not bragging, okay? Pump the brakes. I'm just saying. I wasn't born with a King James Bible in my hand. People find loopholes. They don't want to submit. They make up excuses because they don't want to to submit. I'm so sorry, preacher. I just can't. I'm not stupid and you're not sorry. You're glad you got out of it. Why? You're selfish. You want to be the God of your life. There's a reason some can't be used by God, and it's because they don't want to submit. There's a reason some won't go further with God, it's because they don't want to submit. You're not going to be greatly used of God until you learn to die to yourself. Submit to God and others, and you certainly are not going to last long in the ministry. Ephesians 5.21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Well, maybe I should dial this back, I don't want anybody to say I got in the flesh. Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. and be zealous therefore and repent. We must learn submission to God. We must teach submission to God. And we do this in part by learning to submit to earthly leaders, earthly authorities, earthly relationships. Because what's going to happen when God says, you need to repent and believe in Me? What's going to happen when God says, I want you to serve Me with your life. What happens will be determined in large part by how you have learned to submit to earthly authorities such as your parents. I'm so glad my dad made me submit. He broke my will. Why are you so happy about that? Well, looking back now, it made me follow God a lot more easy because God came along and said I want you to do I don't want to do that God I don't care I told you to do it So are you living in submission to God or are you the god of your life you Say well how do I know Take a look at what you prioritize That will reveal the true answer If God and the things of God are not the priority in your life you're still trying to be the god of your life And you're believing the lie of Satan. Let's pray.